Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Hey everybody, this is Jay Nathan. Jeff and I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Lincoln Murphy, who's a world-renowned speaker, consultant, and writer on all things related to customer-centric growth. Lincoln literally wrote the book on customer success. We talked about his journey, how customer success has to be linked to growth to be viable in a modern SaaS company, and we talked a lot about customer advocacy. You can find Lincoln at 16ventures.com. He's got an upcoming workshop on customer advocacy that we highly recommend you go check out. I think you're going to enjoy the episode. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. So you, you made a little bit of a shift to go away from the words customer success. Yeah. But have you found that that's taken you into new markets that you weren't touching before? Yeah. And that's what you're sort of referencing there? Like, what is that outside of B2B SaaS or is it other? No, no, no. I mean, still, still a lot in, in B2B SaaS and, and the startup world and stuff like that. But, um, you know, more just with non-customer success audiences. So, you yeah, know, I'm talking more about expansion. Clearly, there's there's some some customer success organizations are are sort of tasked with that and they're uh, interested in that kind of thing. But, you know, you also have other parts of the business that are responsible for or uh, interested in, uh, you know, how to, how to expand. So th- just by kind of dropping the customer success name, it's repositioned me as not just a customer success guy. And then talking about these things has opened it up to other parts of the business that are interested in it. So, yeah, but that said, so it's interesting, right? They're, okay, this is cool. I like what this guy's saying, but who is he? <laughs> why, yeah. why can't you listen? So now you have that need for that social proof and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily need that because I already had things that, um, that kind of built up that trust in the customer success world, whether it was just people knew who I was, they'd just been around long enough to know, or have seen me around long enough or the book or whatever, or the blog. I mean, they, you know, they went there specifically for customer success content. Um, so that's that. Also some geographic stuff. I'm doing something in, in Poland. I've been to Poland a couple times, but it's actually been a couple of years and this is a different part of Poland and it's a different audience doing something in R- Romania. Same thing. You know, they're just like, how can we get more people that are here that may not know about you? you know, interested in this workshop or whatever. So it really started me thinking about like, you know, things that I just hadn't had to worry about before. Yeah. It's such a good time for us to be, because like we have, I I always say, and I don't know if this is, you know, quantitatively accurate or not, but at least 30% of your customer success problems beginning sales. And the other, there's another 33% of your customer success problems that are downstream from customer success, like product engineering, you know, some kind of operational thing. And so we've always intentionally gone really wide in the organization, right? We, we have never really focused on just customer success management teams or just onboarding teams. Like when we go in and talk to co- companies, we, we actually start by interviewing their marketing people to understand what, what's the value prop? What are we selling? What's the message? Like, and because it's so critical to what we're delivering on the other end. So right. it's interesting to hear you say that that this is, you know, you're having to build that brand recognition outside of what we've traditionally thought of as just success. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've never, this is what's interesting. I mean, I've talked about customer success as a, 
as a concept, you know, my definite, my definition of customer success, whether anybody else accepts it or not, my definition is, you know, when your customers achieve their desired outcome through their interactions with your company, the, the part of it that I think is really important in what a lot of people miss is that it's with the interactions with your company. That's across the entire life cycle. That's across right. all, all in, of those interactions. It starts early with sales and marketing, whoever sort of is having those first touch points with the customer and it goes through onboarding and it goes through this, what, three, five, seven, 10 years that they're going to be our customer and all of the touch points, you know, they're in. Uh, that's, that's the big picture for me for customer success. I agree. Whenever I work with, with companies directly, or if I'm talking about this stuff, you know, I'm saying this has to be, I don't, I don't like the, the term cross-functional because it's just so cliche, but like, ultimately that's what we're talking about here. It has to be everybody moving in the same direction. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think your approach makes, makes total sense. And, and that's, that's the way now, what that means is that when I've talked about customer success, I talk about it almost as, um, you know, it's, it's an operating model for the business. It's not just the department, you know? And so I have published things about like, you know, like here's, here's nine things. Customer success is not, you know, I try to like help people understand what it's not. One thing it's not is just a department. You know, we can't look at it that way, but, but that's the problem. That's one of the reasons why I got, I tried to move away from it because there's so many misconceptions about what customer success is. And I just started going uh, crazy trying to explain what, what it is. Um, you know, you would, I would speak at a conference and, and there are some people that were there to see me and, and believe what I say. And there are other, you know, and there's, there's like five or six different other groups that have their own beliefs. And so they don't, they're not going to listen to me. It's like you're getting into some sort of religious battle. Yeah. I don't do that. You know, I'm just here to help. And I found that actually speaking not about customer success, but about the concepts. So just never saying those terms actually made people listen because they didn't hear something that kind of triggered in their mind, you know, this, this thing that they think they already know. Right. So if I'm just saying here, you want exponential growth and account value. Yeah. Okay, cool. Here's what you do. And if I never mention customer success, they're like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm like, okay, now we can operationalize this. Here's the <laughs> ways that you can make yeah. that. And the question is, how do we do that in your company? We always talk right. about it. Um, we talk about it in terms of what are the customer jobs to be done, right? Mm-hmm. The product team uses the job to be done framework. So like, okay, well, we have to renew customers. We have to sell them more. We have to make sure they've maximized their adoption. We have to support them when they call. Like those are all different jobs to be done. We don't, that's where we start and then we can back into, okay, well let's, let's figure out who does each of those things and why, like what's the real reason. There's so many different facets to it. It's been really interesting too, from our point, um, what you mentioned earlier about kind of um, getting into the organization or like entry points, you know, I would say over the last year, it's, it's been interesting that we oftentimes get brought in from a like chief revenue officer or a CFO perspective at some points too. Um, and we're never really brought in from a like customer success perspective, which is really interesting, I think. And I've, like, I've always tried to like step back and like try and understand why that is like, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just like fascinating when we walk into an organization and a CRO can quickly understand, like you're saying, you know, not only are we talking about customer success, but we're talking about all the other things that go along with that team. If you think about it as just that team, like there's so many other things that go into it and they're like, Oh, you can impact revenue. Great. Come in and let's, let's start doing that. You go to a CFO and he's like, Oh, you can come in and, you know, look at our processes and see if we're losing efficiency and we're wasting, you know, money on the table. Great. Come do that. 
But then you start, we, we've gotten to a customer success rep or a, we'll say a director or a VP or somebody. And we're like, Hey, we can come in and help. We can do X, Y, and Z. We can put together yada. And they're like, no, I've got it figured out. And we're just like, yeah. oh, it's like so fascinating that what, like the, our technical buyer doesn't ever want to buy from us. It's really yeah. from the CRO or other parts oh, of the organization. Marketing. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's stuff that there's, there are things we have to take into consideration and, and essentially it's somebody think about this. I mean, somebody is saying, essentially if it's if if it's a, a csm or or a, a leader in in the customer success management organization they they would almost be admitting that they don't know what they're doing yeah nobody wants to look bad in their job so you know that start they they may have even reached out to you and then at, by the time you end up talking to them they've realized that if they suggest bringing you in that they're basically opening themse- themselves up to some scrutiny that maybe they didn't uh, originally have. Um, whereas a CRO is like, Hey, how can we make, how can we make more money <laughs> and yeah. you can help us do that? We'll do it. Which is why I love working with companies that, that have this, this growth oriented view, whether it's a CRO or just, just whatever the, the organization yeah. setup is. Um, but if customer success is under operations or, you know, some like, I don't know, just not, not, un, not looked at as, as a growth uh, mechanism. Um, you know, I'm not here to help you save money and, and yeah. out those operational efficiencies. Sometimes, you know, obviously we can, we can maybe do that, but like, that's no fun. That doesn't yeah. give you exponential growth. That, that just helps you save a little bit of money. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, what you just said is, is my experience too. And, and frankly, where I like to be, it's a lot more fun um, yeah. and a lot more effective. I mean, the, out, the outcome that you get, when you're looking at this as a growth driver and, and have the ability to invest resources, whatever those resources are into that is, is great. And when you're on the operation side and it's a cost center and, and everything is like, how can we just save money? Then the, then those things are not going to be invested. So that's, you know, if I do get somebody from customer success uh, reaching out, I will always ask that we have someone, maybe a CEO depends on of course the, the configuration of the company, but I want, I want somebody else there. And very often they, you know, the answer is I can't do that or they're not interested in it. And to which I say, uh, then you're not going to be able to do the things we talk about anyway. Right. Yeah, if you can't right. get that other leader to be a part of a discovery call just to see if this is in, you know, this makes sense, then that tells me this isn't a priority for them. And you know, it's not going to work out well uh, for anybody. So yeah, yep. that, having it on the growth side is, is amazing. We, we were at a, uh, a private equity round table yesterday and I spoke and there were a number of other people who, who spoke and there were multiple times throughout the day when people who were helping to drive these transformations and, and have done a fantastic job in the companies, very notable companies that they work in um, doing that said the same thing that you just said. Like if you don't have an executive level, like a C level, CRO, COO, CEO, somebody who cares about the growth of the company as your sponsor, don't even start. Like, don't waste yeah. your time or go find another job at another company because, you know, this, this company is not serious about, you know, what, what a customer success strategy can do. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That, that's all. And, and like, if you're not willing to even, if they're not, if they're not willing to, or there's, you don't have somebody that can do that just to even, you know, at this phase, uh, I, I worry about what's going to be able, what's going to happen down the road. Right. And, and yeah. 
what's going to happen is probably nothing. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's going to be the same. I was going to say, I mean, you, you've been in this, in this game now for a while. Like, I think this might be one of the key things that's changed over the past 10 years is that people are recognizing that this is a growth function and not, it's not an operations function per se, but what do you, what would you say? Like, what, what is the biggest difference between when you, you know, really started, you know, you're, you're down your path on, on the customer success side of things and, and where we are today. Yeah. So I started in this because I was doing growth stuff for companies. I was helping companies grow and it was primarily through their existing customers. So I, I saw that a long time ago as, you know, this pretty awesome potential growth mechanism. I didn't, you know, I remember when I first sort of had those realizations, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant. Um, and you start realizing um, that you can, that, that a lot of the expansion stuff that people were doing, what you might call account management uh, back, you know, back in the day, we call it account management, um, you know, upsells and things were really just the, the exact same thing they were doing with new business sales. Uh, just applied to your existing customers. And I saw a lot of friction there and I saw a lot of customer negative behavior, quota driven expansion, things like that, that, that really were not having the results that people expected, uh, people wanted, companies wanted. And so I started looking at how to do this in a more customer centric way. And eventually uh, I saw that what I was doing in the way that I was thinking about it seemed to be similar to this thing called customer success. Uh, this was maybe 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, and so I started kind of, I just jumped on that term and, and, and kind of, you know, took it from there that, so my approach was always, this is a growth mechanism. I quickly got bogged down in the, the, all of the, the, the ways that people were looking at customer success uh, that weren't growth mechanisms and specifically on like churn mitigation um, companies that were doing all these things wrong from bringing in bad fit customers to having products that don't work to just, you know, not having an appropriate experience for their customers, not being deliberate in their customer acquisition, all these things. And they were like, how do we fix churn? I mean, we'll fix those things, fix those things and you won't have churn. Now let's focus on growth. Right. Well, no, we need to spin up a customer success management organization. We need to bring in some junior people to sit here and make customers happy. And now, now what we still have a lot of churn. It's like, yeah, because you're not solving for the underlying issues that are causing churn. Um, so I got bogged down in that. And then like six years later, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. It's <laughs> not good. So look, but the, but the reality is a lot of companies are realizing, have realized that this is a growth mechanism. I I would, I would still say though that most companies, at least that I run into, don't see it that way or publicly, like the, the, the representatives of those companies will go on stage at an event and talk about how they see it that way. But back at, at home base behind the scenes, it's not seen that way. So you gotta be really careful. A lot of people talk a good game. You know, a lot of people are very confident in what they say on stage. They're using, you know, 2019, 2020 tactics fueling their growth, but back at home, they're using 2014 tactics because they actually put in something in place. They put something in place and then they didn't want to rock the boat. And that's, that's kind of the biggest issue I see with customer success management organizations is that, you know, look in sales, you 
you, nobody, no sales leader is going to use, no, no, like really professional uh, sales leader that cares about their career and cares about making money is going to use 2013, 2014 tactics today. That's just like not going to happen. Right. Um, and, and in fact, they're going to switch it up quarterly sometimes because they're trying to figure out what's, what will work. They had this idea, they put something in place, it didn't work, they switch it up or it worked, but they think they can do better. Same with marketing. You wouldn't use marketing tactics that are even six months old in some cases. You would be, you would, it, would, it just wouldn't work. And yet with customer success management leaders, I see a lot of them are unwilling to make any changes once they put something in place because they're not seen as a growth mechanism in the company. They're not seen as, as something positive. They're sort of just, they have to be there. They're a cost center, whatever. They don't want to rock the boat, you know? So they go out, they talk a lot of theory about stuff, but back, back at the office, you know, they're not, they're not actually doing anything. People don't like it when I say stuff like that, but it's, it's reality. And I think we need to move past that. We need to be willing to, to change things up if, it's not working or if it could be better. Yeah. I, I, I think part of that is there, it seems like there are, there's a, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but some customer success leaders have a hard time going to make the case for, for what we would traditionally have thought of as like a capital investment in mm-hmm. that part of the business to drive growth. I guess what we, how we think, and we've always thought about capital investments in CapEx, but they are, you know, very much in this OpEx mindset of like, okay, I just need some more people to do more of the same thing I'm doing and then do it across the, all the, the customer segments, right? Not, yeah. not just, you know, these two at the top or whatever. Um, p- part of what, you know, back to your earlier point about, about um, you know, being maybe threatening to the customer success team itself, you know, we're trying to think about how do we just, we're here to come alongside you and make that case, yeah. right? Make the case that you're a growth engine and you need investment to do that. And of course, you know, that's where, where we like to come in and help. But I mean, that's beside the point. We just want them to get the investment so that they can drive the state of their business forward. So, right, right. I mean, I'll, I'll just say, you know, and maybe this will help you with in, in your sales. Uh, but, you know, the reality is, so one of my checks to, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to a potential client, um, but this isn't just a, a check for success potential. This is also something that, that helps, I think, with the positioning of what, you know, the, this potential pushback um, is to simply say, so like I said, this is, a, this is a check for success potential, but this is also positioning. I'll say, if it's true, you know, look, I think you could get there on your own. Like you, you're thinking about this the right way. You you're going to figure this out. And that's the kind of person I want to work with because I can come in and accelerate that for you. I can help you get there faster. But if we didn't do anything together, you will get there on your own because you're thinking about it the right way. Some people, the things they, they're, that they're saying to me, I'm listening and I'm like, you are not, you're not thinking about this the right way. And for us to work together in a way that's going to get you the result you want, I have to help you change your mindset. And I learned a long time ago that while maybe that's possible, <laughs> that's a much bigger ask and way outside the scope of what we can do. Um, it just, that takes you having to come to that, that realization on your own. But if you're already thinking about it the right way, you're looking at things 
uh, with the right worldview and the right mindset and, and you've been it, you've done the research and you've gathered things and you know where you need to go, I can come in, provide you the frameworks, provide you whatever you need, that expertise and experience, and we can accelerate that. That tends to make people go, oh, okay, that, so I'm not, I'm not dumb. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. me. It's this person is going to help me be able to accelerate that. The other thing is that's how they can sell it to their, their, whoever else they need to sell it to, you know, look, we can figure this out on our own, but if, if these guys come in, they can do it. They can help us do it faster. Sure. And that, yeah. that's a great selling point. I think it kind of diffuses that potential um, pushback. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I think we've been hearing more about recently too is um, obviously technology and automation is just coming into the space. Um, tech touch is like the word of vomit right now um, that everyone is using. But how do you think about how technology and automation like should or and kind of orchestration, however you want to think about it, like should be used? It's almost like we think of uh, it as a kind of a sidecar, right? Like you should use it to your advantage. You should take advantage of the technology that's there and the automation. Um, you should really use it from like a marketing function to get the right touch points at the right times. But like, I do think that there is this misnomer right now where people just think, oh, I can get a technology and I can just make the bottom half of my customers or the bottom 10% of my customers just tech touch and I'm never gonna leave it or I'm never gonna touch them. And I feel like that is such the, the wrong way to think about how to use technology, even in that low sector, right? It's like why don't you use some of the features of that in the low sector, but find ways that it actually still has human elements that bubble up at the right moments of the right times. Uh, so I'm just curious how you think about that too. And, and if you've kind of heard a similar story. Yeah. I mean, the whole touch level sort of pyramid uh, that I was guilty of, of propagating uh, back in the day. I don't know. It doesn't, it's, it's the wrong way to look at things as, as you said. Look, this is why I came up with appropriate experience um, as my kind of go-to uh, way to to help you differentiate between your customer segments. Um, you know, if all your customers, all the all the different customers throughout your different segments all share the same sort of required outcome or goal or job to be done or whatever, they don't all have they they they're all going to have an experience that that they need to to have or they're going to have what we would call an appropriate experience that would not be the same across those different segments. Um, and we need to make sure that we're providing them with that appropriate experience. What I found is that customers who are, who may be achieving their goal, they may be doing, you know, doing the thing that they need to do, but if they're not getting it in the way that they need to get it, they're not having that appropriate experience, they will leave. Um, so you need to solve for both. So how does that apply to technology? Well, we just need to figure out what that appropriate experience is. And I use the term appropriate because it's appropriate. It's not high touch, tech touch, whatever. It's, it's whatever the appropriate experience is. And it's going to be a mix, most likely, of technology and human interaction. And sort of the ratios depend on not how much they pay us, not where they fit, uh, you know, in, from our perspective, but what is appropriate to them. And so what you see is uh, a lot. You see big customers that pay us a lot getting very high touch human interaction, you know, as little tech touch as possible because they deserve so much more than that because they pay us a lot. And then what you, but you, that has no, no, that doesn't actually mean anything. It just says that they pay us a lot. So we're going to give them this experience that we think they deserve. The reality is a lot of times the customers that are your biggest 
that pay you a lot. And this, this varies. I, you know, I, I don't know, but I see this from, uh, more than occasionally you see big customers or at least a, a segment of those big customers that would like you to just leave them alone. They would actually be good candidates for, you know, having that ratio of tech touch be a little bit higher for them than, than other customers because they have the resources. They don't need your help. They don't need your interaction. But in, instead of having that be a really high, um, high margin customer, because they pay us a lot and you could get away with not giving, not really having to interact with them very much. Instead, we make it a low margin customer and by delivering an inappropriate experience to the extent that sometimes that can actually be the thing that drives them to not renew, right? Because you're giving them such an inappropriate experience. Most of the time it's just hurting our margins and hurting our efficiency, you know, cause we're not taking that into consideration on the flip side. You have those small customers, low revenue customers, some people call them low value customers. And I think that's probably not the right way to be looking at them. They're simply low revenue. We will give them an, an entirely tech touch self-service experience because that's what they deserve. And that's the thing you, you hear, you hear, you start to listen for these things. I hear it a lot. You hear sort of customer negative ways of speaking, you know, they don't deserve very much because they don't pay us very much. So you have these low revenue customers that don't pay us very much. So we're going to give them as little human interaction as possible. Everything is tech touch and then and self-service. And then they churn. Well, why do they churn? Well, there's just a lot of churn in those low revenue customers, except yep. maybe that's not so true. Maybe you're giving them an inappropriate experience. You see those, those smaller customers maybe would prefer, maybe their appropriate experience is more human interaction. Okay, so wait a minute. <laughs> you know, this is the, if they prefer that human interaction, but they only pay us $50 a month. Like, how, how does that work? Ah, don't do business with them because <laughs> you can't give them their appropriate experience, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't care about their appropriate experience. I want their money. So I'm going to give them what I'm going to give them, right? And then they churn a lot. There's a lot of churn. So then we say, I'm going to give them even less. And now the churn is even worse. And you get this cycle that is caused 100% in that scenario by the vendor basically saying, you know, I, almost being punitive in the way that they look at these low revenue customers, when in fact they should be doing everything in their power to not do business with those customers until they can, in an economically feasible way, give them an appropriate experience. Otherwise, we end up you know, churning and burning at that, at that level and then blaming the customer and then making it worse. So, you know, to your point, we have to take the tools that we have at our disposal and use them appropriately. And it's going to be that mix of human and, and, and technology, uh, human interaction and tech, technology. Uh, it's just the ratios are going to be different based on what their appropriate experience is. Yeah, no, that resonates a lot. I was uh, like smiling like a third of the way into your, your talk because the other thing that I think is really interesting is um, sometimes there's like this, um, it feels like there's this wall between a customer success manager or we'll think about it as like an account manager, whoever it is, whoever has that commercial relationship. Um, it feels like there's a wall where they can't even ask what that experience is. Right. Which I find really interesting. Like we have an experience that we want from our side of things as a business. Hey, this is how we've seen people get implemented the fastest, get the quickest time to value. Here's our process, you know, that, that we want to kind of put onto you, but also <laughs> like not asking the question of, is that the experience that you want, right? Like, 
yes, it's going to fit for our business, but how do we become, how do we get to a happy medium here where we can onboard you and get you to time to value quicker, but that we can also give you an appropriate experience because I don't want to be emailing or calling you 20 times and you're not going to respond. If you tell me that you only want to talk to me once every two weeks, you know, like there's, Mm -hmm. I just think it's interesting that the, there um, seems to be this theory too, that you just can't even like talk to the customer and ask what the experience that they want is. And it's like, that's a person that's human, just ask them and get the response and then take that as an input back to your team to say, how do we, how can we do this? And if we can't be honest about it and go back to them, it's so weird. I mean, I think the reason, yeah, like tech touch and, and like surveys, these are all great because it means that we have that layer of abstraction from between us and the customer. I don't have to talk to anybody. Like it's, it's so bizarre. Um, and I, I don't understand where that comes from. It, you, you've, you know, you've in theory chosen to be in a customer facing role or in, you know, a part of a customer facing organization and, and the last person on earth you want to talk to is the customer. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, I don't know if it goes back to, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist and, and I have no idea. <laughs> I, try, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how humans operate, but I still haven't figured them out. Um, one of the things I, I think it may just be, we don't want to admit we don't know something or we, yeah. you know, if, if I ask you a question, I am basically telling you, I don't know the answer to it. Right. And, yeah. and that is maybe not what we want to do. That said, I mean, there are situations where you do have uh, customers that maybe, again, you know, maybe you're able to give them an appropriate experience or what you think is going to be an appropriate experience. Maybe there's some things you want to know, uh, you know, from them. So we can, we can do some, we can put in some self-service ways to ask those questions. I mean, I think that's the other thing people don't want to do. They don't want to add any friction to any process. And it's like, Good. Don't add friction. But if there's things you can do, if you can ask a question in the in in app, um, you know that that will help shape this experience for them. I mean, do it. You know, let's let's ask these questions. If it's a, if if I get on a, a call with you and I can ask one question that will sort of shape where we go from here, it doesn't mean that I don't know what's what I'm doing. It means that I want to know what you want to do, or I want to know more about you. So we have to get out of that, that mindset of not wanting to talk to anybody, but you know, in designing an appropriate experience, uh, things people always ask me is like, what's the question? What do you ask somebody to figure out what their appropriate experience is? Well, it's not a question that you ask and it's certainly not, Hey, what's your appropriate experience? Because (laughs) nobody knows what that means. So many of the words I tell, I tell my clients and I tell people on workshops and all these things all the time, like, the things that I'm saying to you and the things that we're talking about right now are so like behind the scenes, right? Don't use these words with your customers. Don't ask what their appropriate experience is, but we can, we can start asking questions um, about, about experiences they've had and we can start to understand what their appropriate experience is. So one thing I like to do is, is if I know it or if I don't, I can ask the questions like, what are some other products you use in your day to day, you know, operation and day to day job. And they'll, they'll mention, not competitive products to us, but adjacent products, right? And then we can ask questions like, okay, so you use this, this project management tool. Cool. What do you love about it? And they'll say some things and you go, well, what are a couple of things you don't like about it? And, and then you just shut up and listen and they will tell you things maybe about the product itself, but then they'll go into other, other areas, whatever's on their mind. And they might say things like, man, you know, they, they won't talk to me more than once a quarter. 
Okay, so now we start getting an idea that just doing a QBR with this with this type of customer, you know, once a quarter, at least in theory, it's probably not going to be an appropriate interaction with them because they're telling me that this other company that's very similar to ours does that and they don't like it. Right. So now you kind of you, you have to put on your detective hat, you know, get creative. And I think that's another thing. People just they they're unwilling sometimes to to go there to like. To say, yeah, yeah, you know, I get to, I get to go out and and, and be creative and, and be a detective. But one of the things that I find a lot of is that, you know, if you have a customer success organization, especially that organization that is very underfunded, has has not enough resources, things like that, um, they're so busy that there's no time for detective work. There's no time for thinking. Right. How many, how many times have you guys run into a, a, an organization where the CSMs have 100% full calendars and that's almost seen as a, like, that's a badge of honor. Badge of honor. Yeah. 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 It's not, that is, is not a badge of honor. <laughs> that is like, that tells me something's wrong with the way that you're scheduling things. Yeah. I, to me, what you're talking about, the detective work is very much a product marketing mindset. So we, we come across product marketing gaps and needs a ton when we start thinking about this. And I think it also gets back to how, you, how are you investing in it across the, how, how are you differentiating your investment in day-to-day operations versus learning and, and expanding and growing. But what you just described, you know, a lot of CSM teams aren't really, they're not wired that way today. Right. Right. right? And so in the absence of being wired that way, and in the absence of a product marketing function that can go do that work, because it's the same thing with sales, right? We have product marketing who generally is more on sales or somebody that gets the messaging and positioning. Hopefully that's based on the objections that they're hearing in the sales cycle. It's based on, you know, feedback along the way, what's resonating from a marketing perspective. It's listening, right? We tend to be really good at that on the, on the new logo side, on the prospecting side, but not as good. That's what you just, that's, that's, uh, that's huge because you're right. I mean, once, once they're a customer, when they say, when, when, when they're a prospect and they say something that's discovery and we, we take that and we try to figure out how to work with that to, to, you know, overcome that or fix it so that they'll become our customer. When you hear the same thing from a customer, you go, Oh God, they're complaining again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, they're telling you something. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, exactly. They are telling you what needs to happen for them to stay your customer, to expand their relationship with you, to go out and advocate for you. And you're hearing, oh, they're just complaining again. So, I mean, this is a mindset issue, but you know, a lot of that goes back to like, they're so busy that you, you get into a situation where you're so busy that things that should be good feedback from, from customer questions from customers is seen as a distraction or is seen as them trying to take time away from me. And, and of course we don't, you know, we have to put in, you know, set parameters and, and, you know, not give customers unlimited interaction time, but it's, but in the early days, you know, certainly you need to be listening a lot more. Than, than, than what you're doing. Well, but, I, and I think the, the late days too, right? I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's as you become busier, you have to schedule time to be able to listen to, to, 
you know, if you're, if you're a leader, you know, this is, this is part of what you should be doing, but as a CSM, you need to be able to, at the very least prepare for a call. <laughs> Imagine that, you know, actually schedule some time to, to do some research and prepare for a call, have the call, and then have some time to, to come out of that call. Everything from decompress because calls can be stressful to, you know, take note of what you were going to do and to follow up on the things that you said you were going to do. I don't understand these, these back to back to back to back meetings. If you made a promise to a customer that you were going to take an action, when are you going to take that action? You know, after dinner at home, maybe probably. Um, but is it, is that really appropriate? You know, is that how we should be, be scheduling things? So it's just a matter of like prioritizing these, these, these things that, are not, they're not, you know, operationally direct. Like they're, you know, it's not a meeting, right? So, you know, yeah. some people might feel like if I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, I'm wasting time and it's not just the CSMs or the individual contributors that think that I think a lot of leaders are kind of, that's, if they see you just sitting and you're not on a call, you're not doing anything, which is, you know, just the wrong way to look at it. Not producing. Right. Right. You know, you know, this is, this isn't a call center or, or I don't know, something like that where, I mean, in some cases it is actually, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, vanity metrics, uh, are, are a really big problem. I think people just looking at these, these certain things and they're going, yeah, that's, you, that's well, back, back to your point that, uh, about what humans are trying to, to I, I think part, part of this is that I think an executive problem because our executives, us, many times we want metrics, we want numbers, right? We want to know what the score is. But um, you know, the way we always try to talk about NPS is that sure you get a score, right? And yeah, you, you need to know where the score is. And some people think it's important to benchmark where you are against, you know, other companies who look a lot like you. But what I find much more interesting about NPS is that it is like the first layer of feedback that helps me hone in like who I can go talk to from there. And you get really high response rates on NPS because it's so simple, right? So we, we, we talk about using NPS, not for where the score is today, but where it's trending, first of all, over time. But then second of all, like what, what kind of conversations is that, does that lead me to go take? Are we closing the loop on the feedback? Right. If there's somebody that's a six or below, like we should be calling them and getting some feedback. Or if they're a, a nine or 10, like tell me why you gave us such a good rating. So we're going to replicate yeah. that. Help us understand. Oh, by the way, would you do a video on our website? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, so, so, I mean, yeah, so I'm not a huge fan of NPS for a lot of reasons. Mostly comes down to just because people don't really use it the right way. And to mm -hmm. your point, you know, you, you, this is a customer that has taken the time to, if you're going to use NPS, use it. And, and if, if a customer took the time to, you know, respond to it, let's, let's look at what we can actually do with it. And, and yeah, I mean, I say anything that isn't a promoter is something that needs to, you know, I, I look at that as negative uh, because, you know, it, if you're just neutral or whatever, like that's still not great. Like some, why are, you know, what's, what's really going on there? So we want to intervene uh, and see what's, what's, what's happening. The other thing I find with NPS, uh, well, in the promoter side, clearly they said, this is net promoter. They said, yes, I will be a promoter. And you're like, awesome. Going to lunch. <laughs> like, whoa, dude. They said they would be a promoter, but they didn't actually promote anything. Right. So to your point, hey, cool. Would you leave us a review? Or, you know, here's a here's a video. A little trick that I do is if I if, if somebody says they'll be a promoter, 
and, and clearly I don't do this for myself, but with the people that I work <laughs> with, they say they're going to be a promoter. I'll say, oh, that's awesome. Tell me about your experience that, that led you to saying that or giving us that high score. Then they will respond usually. And I say, that is amazing. Would you post that as a review somewhere? So they already wrote their review. But I, if I said, hey, would you go give us a review? They might be like, oh, totally. And then they won't because now it's like, oh my God, what do I say? I, I just, you know, I don't even know where to go from here. But you already wrote it. So like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big step in the right direction. They still have to create an account and do all this other stuff. So there's, there's friction. But um, so that's amazing. But uh, in general, um, if, if we're doing... If we're doing MPS, uh, the, the biggest issue that I run into, and, and you guys probably see this too, is there are, there's, there's things collected from, from the, you know, certainly outside of just the core MPS uh, survey part of it, you know, the, the open-ended questions, things like that, that you might have with it. There's things in there that don't belong there, which I am almost 100% sure are affecting the NPS score. So in, in other words, um, people are having problems with open support tickets. They, they are seeing bugs. They have feature requests, all these things. And those are coming back in MPS survey responses. You're like, you know, you have a question that just asks about, you know, some, something and their answer is why does this box flash when I open it? And you're like, that has no, that that's not, <laughs> you know, I asked what you had for lunch that has nothing to, you know, yeah. and, but, but what you're seeing is like, we're not giving people an outlet. So when the NPS survey goes out, they're like, okay, now I'm going to let them have it. So now you hate the NPS surveys because they're always low or, you know, so what I say is make sure you have other, you have options for them to always be giving you feedback about different things. So obviously having a, a place for them to open support tickets, but also check the status of those things, um, you know, having a place and of course it depends on what your product or service is, and, and, and what you can and can't do and all that stuff. But, you know, having a place to request uh, new features, having a place to report bugs, having a community that they can go to and interact with. So this sort of self-service deflection, is, is not just to deflect people so that we don't have to deal with them. It's so that they have a place to get these things out of their brain and then they can move on. And then when I ask them something on a survey, they're going to give me an answer that has to do with the survey and not just whatever this, the, the latest thing was on their mind. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I know we only have a limited amount of time here. Sure. Um, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the, the workshops you've been doing and let you sort of explain that a little bit, but I know you just got done with an onboarding one. I'd love to hear how that went, but then also the advocacy one that's coming up. Yeah. So the onboarding one was amazing. Um, I, it was the biggest, biggest workshop I'd ever done uh, by far, um, which was very interesting. You know, I, I think it just, it just speaks to the fact that people, everybody does onboarding, but very few people really know what they're doing. You know, um, I think there's an analogy in there somewhere, but like, um, it's, it's one of those things that is so important that, but there's so few resources out there on that particular subject. So I think, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I was a genius and came up with this awesome topic. And, you know, I just so happened that this was the topic I wanted to cover, but it seemed like it was one of those things that people were, were really, really excited about. I went, it was a two hour workshop. I ended up going about 20 minutes over just answering questions at the end because people had so many 
very, very specific questions. You know, I mean, I, I covered a lot of stuff, but then there were just like, you know, how does this apply here? And, you know, to, to my situation, um, what I do is I just, I sort of, you know, have, have real world interactions. And then I'm like, Hey, I think that, you know, there's enough interest here. I think people would, would find. So I'd, I'd been doing some stuff on onboarding, uh, specifically with a couple of clients. And I thought, you know, this is there, this seems like something I should do as a workshop. Um, and it worked out well. This, my, my next workshop, uh, at the end of August, uh, is on advocacy. And that's another thing that, that people, we talk about it a lot. You know, we want, we want our customers to stay longer, buy more and tell their friends, but you know, we, we, we may be operationalizing the stay longer, maybe operationalizing the, uh, the buy more, but you know, almost in no case are we doing that with, with the advocacy. Um, and I had a, I had kind of a, my own mess up where, you know, I, I ran into a situation where I needed some testimonial videos and, and went against everything I knew to be, to be right. Uh, just blasted some some customers and some you know former workshop attendees with a with you know an email that said can you do me a huge favor, ask for video testimonials and it just you know completely fell flat and I even pissed some people off, um, and I was like hmm that that sucked <laughs> maybe you know I could I could do a workshop on this that that you know I've already shown you I, I, I sent an email email to my list and I said don't do this this is what you shouldn't do. Now, you know, at the end of August, I'll show you what you should do. You know, I've done this stuff with, with lots of companies over the years. Uh, but, you know, just like any other, I mean, I'm a human, right? So, I mean, I, I fell into the trap of trying to take the easy way out, um, you know, not preparing ahead of time, you know, to, you know, for a campaign that we wanted to do and having testimonial videos already queued up. And I got desperate and desperation is a stinky clone. And I sprayed it on like a teenage boy sprays Axe body spray, um, you know. <laughs> uh, but I thought, hey, you know, this, is there. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is something that is super important. Making sure that you have those advocates out there. It's a process. You have to do it the right way. You have to set these things up. The orchestration is really important. You know, let them know at some point we're going to want to get that testimonial from you, or we want you to go out and leave us a review, and and all of those things are just part of the process of doing this. And so um, that's my next workshop on, on advocacy. But the, you know, the main thing is there's a lot of aspects to customer centric growth that just people don't talk about very often. And I haven't really talked about advocacy very, very much though. Like I said, I've done this with lots of companies over the years, but I think, you know, I, I maybe have a couple of blog posts on it, right? It's not, um, it's not something that's that I've talked about a lot and it's not something that's out there very much. And then, in fact, most of the people that talk about it work for software companies that, you know, have a tool that, that makes this work. Yeah. In theory. And in a lot of those software products don't really work, but you know, it's just, it's just like any other software tool, uh, whether it's advocacy, whether it's customer success management or, or anything, if you don't know what you're trying to operationalize, the tool isn't really going to help you. Right. So, I mean, if you have a way to gamify advocacy as some, some products out there do, maybe that's fine, but you don't even really understand what, what advocacy is and, and, and why it works and the psychology there and, and all that stuff. So that's what we're going to cover. We're going to start with like why it's super important, what the, what the psychological aspects of it are. Like I said, I'm not a psych, not a psychologist, but I try to study, you know, how human beings work. And I, I, Robert Cialdini and, and his book Influence was a big influence on me in the things that I do. Um, and, and that's 
you know, the, the power of social proof is spelled out in that book in, in, in great detail. And that's basically um, the basis, the psychological basis for advocacy, but you know, how it helps you in your company is, is incredibly powerful. Um, and so we're going to talk about that stuff. So I think it's uh, August 29th. So it'll be awesome. Awesome. Well, we sent out a link in our newsletter this week. Oh, cool. so, yeah. Very cool. Hopefully, hopefully we get you a few, uh, a few attendees. Amazing. More than one this Love time. <laughs> hey man, that's awesome. Dude, man, we could talk for, for hours. I, I honestly believe it, but just, you know, that one last thing that I mentioned to you, like when people onboard into my company, I send them straight to your uh, definitive guides to customer success. Cause this stuff's just, it's just awesome, man. We love it. So that's cool. Love what you're doing and um, appreciate your friendship and, and you uh, being, being part of, part of our story now. And uh, um, look forward to just staying in touch with you. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the gain, grow, retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.